With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. podcast you're going to find everywhere. How you doing, everybody? Great to be with you for another big college football week. This is Strong as Steel. I'm Michael Regai with uh, our outstanding college football analyst and the author of our Phil Steele College Football Preview, Phil Steele. You can jump on board with us, 646-668-2248. Believe us when we tell you it is fast-paced. You make it happen. We want your input, 668-646-668-2248. Please, you can also tweet at the show, at Phil Steele, S-T-E-E-L-E, 042, at Michael Regi, R-E-G-H-I, and at Jim underscore Nabosna, our outstanding producer, N-A-B-O-Z-N-A. That's how we do it for the next hour. Hey, Phil, let's, let's get right at it here. And uh, let, as we start today, and we're going to take a look at uh, virtually every college football game on the slate this weekend, the performance from Chris Peterson and his quarterback Jake Browning last week, uh, we went through three top ten matchups, and what Washington did to David Shaw and Stanford, they virtually never lose, let alone get absolutely taken to the woodshed like that. I know you're high on Washington. You have been all year long. But how impressive was that so far to you in this early portion of the season? I think it was one of the better performances out there of the season, uh, not the fact that they won the football game, but the, how they dominated it. They, you know, Stanford's a very physical football team, and I thought Washington out-physical them, as well as having maybe the uh, you know better skill set at the receiver spots, and I thought Jake Browning played a great game. I still would think the best performance I've seen year-to-date is probably that Louisville uh, demolition of Florida State. That was really a, a game that stood out to me, but this one's clearly up there and one of the best uh, games that I saw 
uh, have seen so far this season. Well, you picked two uh, outstanding winning performances, no question about that. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to go through with your input. We want you to line up and get your calls in, 646-668-2248. So, hey, without further ado, let's get it rolling to the great state of New York with some thoughts on a Pac-12 matchup. Here's Mark. Hey, Mark, welcome to Strong as Steel. How you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Michael. So, Go ahead welcome. with your question, Mark. Mark. Uh, my question is, uh, so I'm a, even though I'm from New York, I'm a big Pac-12 fan, and I remember last year when that Washington State line came out, they were catching 12 at home to Stanford. And I immediately saw that, and I thought, money line all the way. This year I saw it open up at 7 at Stanford, and I don't want to overreact to last, last week, but I do know that Stanford's missing both top cornerbacks again. And even though the line of scrimmage is a little bit iffy, I just feel like Stanford with a very weak home field advantage that Washington State can go in there with Luke Falk. And you hear what Mike Leach said about the home field advantage. It's what you make of it. I think they can go in there and get the win. Any thoughts? All right. Appreciate the question there, Mark. And, uh, you know, I understand the logic. You go back to last year's game between Washington State and Stanford. Washington State missed that field goal right at the end of the game that would have given them the upset victory and said it turned into a two-point loss. Now, I do like the situation better this week for Stanford than last week. I thought last week they were going into a hornet's nest, one of the best teams in football with a loud home venue, and they were coming off of physical games against USC and UCLA. Now they're back at home off a loss. I also think that they'll establish a line of scrimmage a little better. It's highly unusual to see Stanford held at 29 yards rushing and 1.0 yards per carry, but I don't think that's going to be the case here. Remember last week, Oregon rushed for 5.8 yards a carry against uh, Washington State, and I think Christian McCaffrey will have a lot more room to run the football. Don't, don't be surprised if you see Keller Christ start to get a little bit more time at QB. And this is a wounded Stanford team and that is actually 9-1 and one against the spread off a loss under David Shaw, so they usually rebound pretty well. I do like the matchup of Falk against the Stanford defense that's missing those top two cornerbacks, but I think David Shaw cobbles together a game plan that's solid, and this week I do like the situation. So I'm actually picking Stanford to win this one by more than the seven points this week. But uh, solid logic there, Mark. Appreciate the call. Well, I've never seen David Shaw. While he was tremendously gracious, of course, to the performance of uh, Chris Peterson in Washington, he had that look to me like, is this my football team that's out there playing <laughs> this road game here? I, you know, I, he, he seemed very perplexed by the way his team performed. Yeah, and you could almost see it coming, though. Like I said, you had the, the fact they were off two tough games. It was a game Washington had been building towards all season. Washington has a really good football team, and that Husky Stadium is one of the loudest home venues in the country. So it was it was just, the, I think, the perfect storm to hit Stanford last week. You're going to see a different different Cardinal outfit on the field this week. We're on the same team that beat Kansas State, USC, and got past UCLA in the first three games of the season. Totally agreed. No doubt about that. All right, let's keep rolling. 646-668-2248. That's how you get a hold of us. It's strong as steel. There's no one that will duplicate what we do for you with assessments, insights, and give you the opportunity to feel like you are uh, – I'm a member of the coaching staff, maybe, of your favorite football team as they prepare for uh, your favorite games this week. Let's keep rolling. Let's go to uh, the state of Pennsylvania. And with uh, the ACC on Jeff's mind, we welcome him to the show. You're on Strong as Steel. Jeff, how you doing? Go right ahead. Good. Thank you. I was just curious. Pittsburgh's defense this year has been great versus the run. Or, yeah, great versus the run, struggling versus the pass with Georgia Tech. You think this will put a dent on the run offense or defense, or you think they'll keep it going? 
All right. Thank you for the call, Jeff. And naturally, Georgia Tech is going to get their yards rushing against pretty much any team in the country. So Pitt's rush defense ranking won't be the same after this week as that is what Georgia Tech does. But this is Narduzzi's third crack at the option. Now, last year they took on Georgia Tech on the road. They did give up 376 yards rushing, 9.4 yards per carry, but somehow still won the game on the road. You look at their uh, bowl game against Navy, 417 yards rushing, 5.9 yards per carry. But now he's had an entire offseason to digest, you know, being in the Big Ten. They didn't face the option attack, so this would be his third crack at facing the option. you got to think that there was, a, was planning going into it in August, back in the summer, back in the spring, knowing that Georgia Tech was on the schedule this year. So I think their run defense will be much better than it was last year against the option, but... You can expect Georgia Tech to probably get close to about 200 yards rushing in this game against that Pitt defense. On the flip side of the coin, I think Pitt's going to be able to throw the football on Georgia Tech, and uh, you know that's going to be a big benefit. I like the way Peterman's throwing the football this year. He's got eight touchdown passes, two interceptions. Great seeing the duo of James Conner and Quadri Henderson at running back. They've got some talent there, and I think Pitt's the better team. So Pitt's a better team at home, better defense. Extra time to prepare for the option, at least the knowledge of the option from last year. I'm going to side with Pitt to win this one probably by about 10 points, but should be a pretty good game. Appreciate the call there. Let's keep going, 646-668-2248. As Phil and I tell you all the time, this isn't just uh, the Power Five. We do the uh, the group of five as well, and one of those conferences that everybody uh, seems to like to get insight on is the, the Sun Belt. So let's go to the uh, state of Texas. Here's Dwayne. As, uh, Dwayne, great to have you on Strong as Steel. How you doing today? What's your thoughts on the Sun Belt for Phil? Uh, yeah, I was just calling about the uh, head. Say again, Dwayne, please. All right, I'm I not think, sure if yeah, we, we I, have I Dwayne. I think Dwayne had a, uh, a question on the Arkansas State and Georgia Southern game was his uh, right. question. Uh, must be having a little bit of technical difficulty there. So, uh, But, Dwayne, I really appreciate you calling in. And uh, let's address that big game, uh, which takes place tonight, as a matter of fact. And, uh, you know, when you look at Georgia Southern, their offense hasn't been quite as explosive as last year. Remember last year with Willie Fritz at the helm, this is a team that averaged 36 points per game. Uh, in fact, in Sunbelt play, they averaged 39 points per game. This year, against FBS foes, they're only averaging 26 points per game. Yeah, they had 54 against Savannah State, but me and Michael could go out in the yard and put up 56 against Savannah State. They're, they're one of the weaker <laughs> FCS teams out there. But uh, So I'm, I haven't been overwhelmed with the offense. I'm a little surprised. Remember how great Fabian Upshaw looked in the bowl game? He's putting up mm-hmm. decent stats this year, but he's not putting up the bowl game type of stats you expected. And I think when you look at Arkansas State, they've been a little disappointing as well. Now, they've been a team that's usually had the mobile quarterback that runs at you, and they always have a strong run game. In their last three games, they've rushed for 66, 70, and 45 yards. Haven't even topped 100 yards rushing on the season, just 2.3. But you got to think that uh, Arkansas State's uh, head coach, Blake Anderson, will get things turned around a little bit on the ground. Watch Warren Wand if you're watching this game. 
him. He's listed at about five foot five, so he's a, a diminutive style running back. You're going to enjoy watching him. And they had expected Pitt transfer Chad Boytick to come in and take the job, but they sort of put him on the bench, and Justin Hansen's taken over at the QB spot. So I think Arkansas State, as much as they've struggled early, I'm going to look at the fact they played Toledo, Auburn, Utah State, and then just an FCS team last week. I'm going to side with Arkansas State to take this one right down to the wire. They're a large underdog. I think they make a game of it and could potentially pull the upset at home. And this is a game Arkansas State needs. Keep in mind, their record in the Sun Belt this year, 0-0. Zero and zero. So they start fresh, much like Northern Illinois did last week against Ball State. Once again, appreciate the call, Dwayne. It's going to be fascinating to watch that one uh, out of the Sun Belt. 646-668-2248. He's Phil Steele. I'm Michael Regai, our producer, Jim Nabosna, waiting for you uh, on Twitter. And we know a lot of you love to uh, get to social media to get your thoughts out and ask your questions of us with regard to another big college football weekend. So you can do that at Phil Steele, 042, at Michael Regai, at Jim underscore Nabosna. Phil, I Kevin Sumlin, to me, i, I got to be honest with you, I didn't think he'd be 5-0 and right now. I thought he, uh, along with Les Miles, was on a tremendously warm seat. He's beaten UCLA. He's beaten Arkansas. So he's perfect at 5-0. and He's got a top-10 matchup as his uh, Aggies at number 8. Welcome in Butch Jones and that Tennessee squad who absolutely pulled off one of those miraculous, uh, phenomenal finishes to beat Georgia. What's your thought about potential matchup edges in this one in College Station coming up Saturday? Well, the first matchup edge that I have to give to Texas A&M is clearly the defensive line against Tennessee's struggling offensive line. Uh, Now, Tennessee's done a better job protecting the QB the last couple weeks, running the football as well. But A&M's got some big defensive tackles. They've got potentially Miles Garrett. Now remember, Garrett missed last week's game. He's questionable for this one. But I think he'll somehow, some way, he'll find his way to the field here and uh, and play in this game. But I think matchup-wise, that's one of the bigger edges in the game that goes to Texas A&M. And of course, they've got the the home crowd now. A&M has opened at five and zero each of the last two years, so it's their third straight five and zero. They've sort of limped to a six and ten finish the last two years. We'll see if they can get that turned around. But for the record. I think this year's Texas A&M team is better than the previous two A&M teams because they can run the football, and they're averaging 6.7 yards per carry, and they can stop the run. After giving up five yards a carry the last two years, they're only giving up 3.4 yards per carry this year. So a better running, better stopping the run Texas A&M team, this is the best one someone's put on the field. Phil, already with wins over Georgia and and Florida in uh, the SEC East. I mean, shouldn't Butch Jones and his squad, don't they have a kind of a smoothly paved path to Atlanta and then SEC championship game, or too early to say that in your regard? Uh, With the wins over Florida and Georgia, they they would need to actually lose two, which they could. They're going to be an underdog against A&M and Alabama. Then they'll be favored all the way out. And then Florida or Georgia would have to turn their season around and win out, just have one loss in the SEC on their schedule. For Georgia, uh, that's yeah. For both teams, that's a possibility. So that's the only way Florida or Tennessee does not win the East. And for last week's game, I know they won the game on a Hail Mary pass, but they also almost lost the game on a Hail Mary pass. Georgia got a touchdown with 10 <laughs> seconds left. 
And for the life of me, I'm watching the game, and I'm like, Jacob Eason has a super arm. Do not let the defensive or a wide receiver get behind your DBs. And there he is, open in the end zone behind two defensive backs for the Hail Mary touchdown with 10 seconds left, which appeared to be Tennessee. But there's just something about this Tennessee team. I think as each victory comes by, no matter how tough it's been for them, they just have a little bit more confidence. And even if they're down by 14 points in the fourth quarter, it's one of those teams that's going to think they can win the game. I think we're in for an excellent football game here, Michael. I think it's going to be decided by a field goal or less and, and come right down to the wire and should be one of the better games this weekend in the colleges. I'm going to be very disappointed if it doesn't come right down to the final few seconds. <laughs> it's, it, no, I feel it's amazing in what you know one month and four football games can do. Remember a month ago how mystified we all were at Butch Jones's first uh, performance of the year as they struggled and struggled and got into overtime to beat App State. So they seem to be gaining momentum. I mean, there's no question about that. Absolutely. All That's right, 6-4-6. Yeah, six six eight twenty two forty eight. There's uh, now a, a a a groundswell, I'd say, that's going on. That uh, a lot of people believe that Urban Meyer and his Ohio State Buckeyes might actually be the most complete college football team in the country. Let's go to the uh, state of Indiana. Welcome Jeff to Strong as Steel, and Jeff uh, with some thoughts on those Buckeyes as they welcome in the Indiana Hoosiers. Hey Jeff, how you doing today? Welcome to the show. Um, well, I appreciate you having me on, and, and Phil, let me say your reads have been on fire this year. Really appreciate it. Uh, Thanks, the Hoosiers scared the Hoosiers scared a couple teams last year, and, and after last week, it looks like they could have that kind of season again. Uh, Twenty nine points to me looks like a layup against Ohio State. I, are the Hoosiers for real? What do you think? Well, you know, Jeff, I do think Indiana is a very strong team, and as you pointed out last year. Uh, they took uh, teams to the wire. Ohio State, they're throwing in the end zone at the end of the game despite the fact they lost their quarterback and top running back in the game. Their backup QBs thrown in the end zone at the end of the game with a chance against the number one ranked Ohio State. The Michigan State game was a lot closer in the final score would indicate. Remember, it was a one-score game with about four minutes to go, and then Indiana started going for it. Uh, fourth down its own territory and some turnovers turned into a blowout. The Iowa game came right down to the wire. The Michigan game, I thought Indiana should have won. Michigan needed that touchdown with seconds left in the game. So they're going to be a confident bunch. And one thing I really like about Indiana this year, they've got a much improved defense. Defense has never been uh, something that they've hung their hat on. They've been giving up over 500 yards per game in the past seasons, but just 373 yards. And you go back to that Wake Forest game they lost at home. It's mostly due to turnovers, minus five in turnovers. They actually had a 611 to 352 yard edge. But I tell you what, this Ohio State team right now is just a buzzsaw. They were a very young, hungry team coming into the year, and they are beating everybody and beating them bad. You look at that game, what they did at Oklahoma, winning it by 21 in a very hostile environment, and they are just not letting the foot off the accelerator. Urban Meyer knows he's got a very young, very talented team, and they just keep going, and they play with the same intensity in the third quarter and the fourth quarter that they did at the start of the game. And there's, it doesn't seem like there's any of those uh, NFL guys, you know, guys waiting to go to the NFL on the team this year. They are they're loaded with that type of talent, but they have a lot of players that are interested in this year's college season. So I think it's going to be tough for Indiana to stay in the game the entire game with Ohio State because Ohio State does look to be one of the best teams in the country. But I'm bullish on Indiana this year. I think we've got some more upsets down the line, but I don't see an upset this week. Appreciate the call, Jeff. 
Yeah, you guys are on fire as we uh, get rolling here on Strong as Steel today. Now, make sure you let all your college football uh, fanatical friends know about it. We do this every week, and as I said, it is the most fast-paced. And, yeah, we're going we're gonna, to uh, pat ourselves in the back a little bit because we know as far as fast-paced, up-tempo, no-huddle style, give you every opportunity to uh, check in with, with Phil and yours truly about uh, every game on the board across a college football weekend, 646 2248. Uh, let's go to the uh, the state of North Carolina, where uh, John joins us on Strong as F- Steel. And uh, John, with a question uh, for Phil about uh, New Mexico. Hey, John, welcome. How are you? Hey, thanks for taking it. Uh, You're welcome, I got, sir. The question I have is, does New Mexico have any shot at home against either Boise or, or Air Force? Okay, appreciate the call there, John. Uh, you know, when you take a look at New Mexico, the answer is yes. And it, uh, Boise is a prime example. You look at the fact that Boise has faced the option now eight times. I'm talking about Air Force and New Mexico. And they have struggled in all eight games. Once again, last year, even at home, Boise State playing with revenge. Uh, got beat 31-24 to 24, uh, the previous year. Uh, Boise State played at New Mexico, and they came up, uh, they won the game, but it was closer than expected. So they have failed to cover the spread in any of the eight games against New Mexico Air Force and really struggled to stop the option. And you look at the fact that their defensive line this year, while playing great so far, and I mean, let's face it, they got four new starters on the defensive line, but they're giving up just 72 yards per carry. They have yet to give up 100 yards rushing in a game. They will give up 100 yards rushing in this game because New Mexico is going to be able to run the football. They Austin Apodaca was the starting QB for uh, New Mexico at the start of the year. It surprised me a little bit. He's a Washington State transfer, maybe a little bit better passer, definitely a better passer. But they're back to using their uh, more running quarterbacks in Lawson and Jordan now, and I think the offense will operate fine. They're at home for this one. Boise State did only beat Utah State by 11 earlier, and they, they had a the big lead against Oregon State, ended up only winning by 14. I think New Mexico makes a game of it, so I'm, I'm going to call for this one to be decided by about a touchdown. I still think Boise wins out. They've got the better personnel, but the fact that the, how much they've struggled against the option I think gives New Mexico a chance here at home. Appreciate the call there, John. Six four six 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 eight twenty two forty eight. You see how we do it? As we said, it's no huddle style. It's up tempo, like a spread offense, fast paced. We get at it and give you all the information you need for your college football weekend. Uh, we're going to be checking Twitter, so if you uh, want to jump on board with that, and many of you do, and we love that, that you use Twitter and social media at Phil Steele o four two at Michael Regai at Jim, our producer underscore Nabazna N A. B-O-Z-N-A. Top 25 matchup, Phil Steele. I'm going to be very locked in on this week. Can't wait for it. ACC, the, hey, two losses already for uh, Jimbo Fisher and his Florida State Seminoles. Now, i got to go see Brad Kaya. they got to travel down the Sunshine State into Miami. Miami, uh, you know, Mark Rick, uh, played quarterback there. He's got a squad rolling. How do you see this one coming out? And uh, can Miami have Florida State their third loss of the year already? Uh, the possibility clearly exists because I like what I've seen from Miami so far this season. Now, if you go to philsteel.com, uh, you can check out the uh, – I had put up the – or actually on the Twitter – at Phil Steele, 042. And by the way, Michael says 042. It's 042. At Phil Steele, 042. Uh, when you look at the uh, thing, I put the last 19 years matchups on for the uh, Florida State game. Florida State has now won 
the last six games in this series. So they've, they've sort of dominated the series. They do extremely well here in Miami. But I really like what I'm seeing out of Miami this year. They have a three-headed tailback. And Mark Walton, Joseph Yerby, and Gus Edwards, all these guys have been highly productive. They're averaging seven yards a carry. The offensive line has allowed a grand total of two sacks all year. The defensive line, besides the fact they lost two of their best defensive players in August, they have recorded 17 sacks. They're allowing just 2.6 yards per carry and been a dominant team. Now, with that said, they haven't played a team in Florida State's caliber. And Florida State, meanwhile, has been playing teams like Ole Miss. Louisville, South Florida, North Carolina. they played four teams that are all better than any of the teams Miami of Florida has played. So this is really going to be a true test. Miami's my pick to win their division in the ACC, but I think Florida State, when you look at them, coming off a loss, they're going to be hard-pressed to uh, to lose that third game of the year. I think Florida State goes into Miami and comes out with a close win, but I'm bullish on. I'm still bullish on both teams, even though Florida State's definitely been disappointing so far. I think I, I like what I see a lot out of Miami. And, and Brad Kaya having a really good season, 66% completions, 8-3 ratio. He's one of the top quarterbacks for next year's draft. Yeah, no doubt about that. I was just going to uh, bring that to the forefront. Phil getting me on a numbers technicality there. That Phil Steele <laughs> zero four two. Well, yeah, leave it to the numbers guy. <laughs> they get me on that. Speaking of numbers of which, Phil, I have to tell you, I've been doing a lot of uh, diving into uh, all of your analysis and research, and you have been uh, quite impressive. I got your inside the press box uh, picks. I've, I've got 18 and 11. Does that sound right through the first uh, five weeks of the football season? Yeah, eighteen eleven for the colleges. Appreciate you bringing that up, Michael. And uh, uh, yeah. you know the the great thing about the uh, inside the press box newsletter is that it not just doesn't give you a place. I mean that's not that's really just a small portion of what it does. It gives you a projected box score of each and every game: yards rushing, yards passing, and points for the game. And you'd be surprised what I do on Saturday nights uh, when I'm wrapping things up. I take the box score and I write it in next to the yards and, and the game. And if you circle every number that's within 25 yards rushing, within 25 yards passing, within three points, you've got circles all over your page. I don't make a forecast without at least seeing what my computer forecasts. Now, sometimes me and the computer disagree, and I'll let you know. That's the beautiful thing about it. You get the computer's forecast, and you get my forecast on every single game. Now, you get a complete breakdown of how to use it. And I, I won't spend a lot of your time because I want to get to a lot of games, but go to Steel's Weekly Preview. That's com, And when you go there, Type in the code word STEAL, and when you do that, you're going to get a special $20 discount off of the newsletter for the rest of the year. Any package you choose, you get $20 off. That's by going to steelsweeklypreview.com and typing in the discount code STEAL, S-T-E-E-L-E, and you'll get that $20 discount. And uh, you also learn a little bit about the newsletter when you go there. That's steelsweeklypreview.com. Let's get back to the calls, Michael. Yeah, and by the way, fellas guaranteed me that sixty uh, percent plus. He's going to have it up to seventy percent as you jump on board by the time <laughs> this year finishes. How's that for a little bit of pressure on you, partner? I love it. Bring it on. You'll bring it on. You'll take care of everybody, just like all of our all of you. And we're so delighted you're with us each and every week on Strong as Steel six four six 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 eight twenty two forty eight. One of my favorite cities in the world, Chicago, Illinois. Here's Jay on Strong as Steel. How you doing, Jay? Welcome. Hey, uh, Phil, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. I uh, wanted to touch on the uh, North Carolina-Virginia Tech game. I think we got an interesting matchup here, offense-defense, while uh, 
Carolina's uh, Trubisky is completing 76% of his passes, and uh, Justin Fuente brings his uh, number two uh, uh, defense and completion percentage to uh, Carolina. Something's got to give here. What do you like here? Great call and great matchup there, Jay. I, I, you're probably an inside-the-press-box guy because you're the way you break down the game like that, and that's the matchup I looked at right off the bat. Mitch Trubisky is a local kid. He's here from Menor, Ohio, and he's having a phenomenal year. I mean, last year in part-time duty, the guy hit 85% of his passes with uh, six touchdowns and zero interceptions. You're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. It's part-time duty. This year, 76%, 13 touchdowns, is yet to throw an interception. Hope I don't jinx him there, but you hit it right on the head. This Virginia Tech team is one that is shutting down opponents through the air. They took on Tennessee, held them to 91 yards passing. And East Carolina last week did get some yards against them, but only at 50%, and there were some crucial turnovers that turned that thing into a blowout. So that's Bud Foster's defense, frankly, underperformed last year. I was very disappointed in what I saw out of Bud Foster's defense last year. This year they're playing up to the level I thought they would last year, and that's the reason Virginia Tech is just putting on some impressive performances. I mean, beating Boston College by 49, I don't think anybody, any other team in the country is going to beat BC by 49 this year, and beating East Carolina by 37 was great. This is just going to be a tremendous matchup. Uh, I'm going to side with North Carolina, give them the home field edge, call them by by about three points in this game, but I think it's going to be one of the better games of this weekend, and the one that everybody should be watching is, is just as uh, as you hit on, uh, Jay, was uh, watch that pass defense of Virginia Tech against the pass offense of North Carolina. Appreciate the call. I love that, that you uh, assess that way, Phil, because I've got to tell you, I think the job Larry Fedora is doing there. Remember, I was 11-3 last year and lose to Clemson in the ACC title game. Phil, and looking at it, I was looking at some quarterbacks, and I'm sure you were aware that uh, Mitch Trubisky is only the second quarterback in the last 10 years with uh, Geno Smith being the other one to complete over 75% of his passes with at least 10 TD throws without a pick. And at this point of a football season. So, Phil, I'm putting him in the Heisman Trophy race legitimately right now today. What say you? You know, having him win over Florida State under your belt, if they end up in the ACC title game, yeah, I would say the possibility exists. Although, let's remember what happened to Geno Smith that year in that second half of the year. Yeah. A little bit different. Everybody handed him the Heisman at midseason. But I, I, that's a great point. It shows how Michael does his homework coming up with a fact like that. And that's a fact that, Phil Steele didn't even know at this point. So thank you, Michael, for educating me on that. And I think when you look at that uh, that matchup, uh, I think Trubisky is, is really set to enter the race. I agree with you 100%. Yeah, we'll see. You're right. It's we got to, you know, take this uh, incrementally as we go along. But I love what Fedora and Trubisky are doing. 646-668-2248. You guys have been on fire. Phil, haven't I? Our college football uh, Strong as Steel podcast listeners been absolutely ablaze today. Let's keep it going. Let's uh, get back to uh, the state of New York with some uh, some SEC thoughts. Here's John as we welcome John to the show. Glad to have you, John. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Good afternoon, guys. Uh, my question is regarding the South Carolina-Georgia game. Now, the South Carolina, I think, has looked like a lot better team at home this year than it has been on the road. But I saw that they might be changing the game to the Georgia Dome this week in Atlanta due to the upcoming hurricane. If they end up changing the game to Atlanta, do you think that's going to make a big difference in the outcome of the game? Uh, 
That's a great question. Appreciate the call uh, there, John. When I take a look at this matchup, I had Georgia winning it in South Carolina. Uh, here's the reason I like Georgia. Now, Georgia did not impress me against Nichols, did not impress me against Missouri or Ole Miss. But I think what we saw to Jacob Eason and that last-minute Hal Mary pass had him gain a lot of confidence in the offense. Also, having a guy like Nick Chubb, who only had one carry last week, back in action I think is going to help them out immensely. Uh, when I look at South Carolina, I see a team that you look at their offense, they've got 42 offensive players on scholarship, 34 of them are freshmen and sophomores coming into the season you thought they struggled and yeah they got the big run to open up the game against A&M but after that the offense didn't do a lot and I still think their offense is going to struggle pretty much the rest of the year they're going to take some lumps this year it looks like a rebuilding year for me for South Carolina defensively uh, Muschamp has done great job with the personnel he's got on hand doing what they've done but I just think Georgia's the better team and would have won in South Carolina so if the game does switch to the, the Georgia Dome I think it might add a few points to the amount that Georgia wins by but it wouldn't affect my forecast on the game as I had Georgia winning it anyway. Appreciate the call there. Fast-paced as always. See, we've already in uh, a half hour, we've already run through so many on this weekend's college football slate. That's what we do for you each and every week right here on Strong as Steel. I mentioned to you a couple of times earlier that Twitter, social media is a fantastic way for you to get involved with Phil and be able to get your thoughts, opinions, and questions out. Our producer, Jim Nabosna, he is our social media maven. Again, at PhilSteel042, at Michael Regai, at Jim underscore Nabosna. Jimmy, front and center, my man. How are you today? And Twitter's been on fire, hasn't it, with regard to this weekend? Oh, it's been on fire. It's been on fire. First question coming in from Jonathan Carter. The, he wants to know, the Gophers are getting two at home to Iowa. Do you think they bounce back this week? You know, when I, when I look at Iowa, they've been one of the more disappointing teams in the country so far. Started out the season great. I mean, remember they blew out Iowa State, and you're thinking, this team is everything you thought they were. Then there was the upset loss to North Dakota State, which, by the way, is the best FCS team out there, and it's always tough to prepare for an FCS team. But I thought they struggled with Rutgers more than I thought they would. And then last week, Northwestern just dominated the line of scrimmage. They had a 198-79 to yard edge, and that surprised me a little bit. The Gophers played a great game against Penn State, almost led it, uh, led it at the end. Penn State got the late score, and then, of course, in overtime, uh, defeated them. But uh, I thought Minnesota played well. I like the way Mitch Leidner's playing this year. He's not playing, you know, there's a lot of NFL guys talking about Leidner, and, yeah, he's got the measurables. I'm still waiting to see it on the field before I go ahead and anoint him up there in the first couple rounds of the draft. But they're playing better. They've got Rodney Smith at running back. I think Iowa's run defense, which has struggled this year, plays a better game. I just think talent-wise, I earlier, prior to last week, I probably would have had Iowa about a touchdown favorite. As it is now, I think Iowa escapes with about a field goal favor, or winning by a field goal. But I think Minnesota takes this one right to the wire. Should be an excellent Big Ten game. Appreciate the tweet. Mike McDonald, who do you like in the battle of former Bowling Green coaches, Syracuse or Wake Forest? And can Wake's strong D slow down fast Q's offense? Excellent question, and that really is the matchup that we're looking at. Dino Babers is a guy that uh, at Syracuse has been the hurry-up, hurry-up. The, the Connecticut game slowed him down a little bit. He only had 66 plays, but right back on track last week. 88 plays against Notre Dame. You could expect him to push the tempo. And likewise, I think Wake Forest comes into this with the same game plan Connecticut did. Slow the football down. 
uh, slow the game down, run the ball, take the take some seconds off the clock. Wolford is now in there at QB over Hinton. Remember, Wolford began the year as starter, then Hinton got Hinton took over, but uh, got injured. Now Wolford's back there. I think they have a decent enough run game to have some effect against the Syracuse rush defense. It's given up 5.4 yards per carry, and they clearly have the better defense, even though. The last two weeks, Wake Forest given up 1,138 yards on the defense. I think they're better than that. So going with the two teams fairly close, better defense, Wake better offense uh, goes to BG. But I'm going to go with the home edge and call for Wake to win this one probably by something like four to seven points. So I like Wake Forest to win this one at home. Thank you for the tweet. Jim. And Gregory Pike at Greg Pike 10. Can UNLV slow down San Diego State running back, Pumphrey, and can San Diego State University get back in the group of five bowl spot? You know, I think it's it's going to be tough for San Diego State to get there, but the way that they can get into the group of five bowl spot is if Houston drops a game, they're going to need Western Michigan to drop a game, and they just have to win out because they, if they win out, the odds are they'll be playing an undefeated Boise State at the end of the year, and if they knock off an undefeated Boise State, they will re-enter the conversation. They've got the defense to do it. Uh, Pumphrey, as you talked about at the, uh, the running back spot, one of the better and more unheralded running backs in the country. So I think the Aztecs are a team that are going to turn around after this loss. Remember last year, they lost a couple early games. They lost to Cal, South Alabama, Penn State, and then they just flat-out dominated the rest of the year. And I think now that Mountain West play is starting, we're going to see that Aztec team that dominated the Mountain West last season. Now, UNLV, I like the improvement this year, but Johnny Stanton uh, got benched. It was Dalton Sneed, the true frosh, that came off the bench against Fresno State last week. you got to think he's going to get the start here. And you take a freshman and you put him up there against that San Diego State blitzing uh, Rocky Long defense, and I think there's going to be a couple of turnovers that happen on the UNLV side of the ball. So I like the Aztecs. About a two-touchdown favorite this week to bounce back against UNLV. I think they win the game by about three touchdowns, and I think they start looking like that dominant Mount West team they were last year. Appreciate all those tweets there, Jim. Tremendous performance by all of you that tweet the show. And, again, we know you can't always call and you want to have your voice heard and, and be able to get Phil's assessment on it. So uh, do it with Twitter. We'll hit Twitter uh, again uh, one more time before uh, the show comes to an end today. Now, in the meantime, 646-668-2248. That's the number to call. Uh, let's get back at it right here from the Buckeye State, state of Ohio. Let's, uh, let's get into some football that will take place in the state of Oklahoma as uh, SMU tangles with Tulsa. Here's Jimmy. Jimmy, welcome to Strong as Steel. How are you today? I'm great. You guys? Tremendous. Go right ahead, Good. Jim. Hey, love the show. Just interested on your take on the SMU at Tulsa game. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Jimmy. Appreciate a couple it, Jim. Teams who- yeah, a couple of teams we don't get to talk about regularly, so I always love that. Bring up the, the smaller teams. And, you know, when you look at SMU this year, I think a big part of what happened was when Matt Davis went out with an injury in the first game of the season. Uh, they went to the true freshman, talented true freshman, by the way, Ben Hicks. But Hicks this year hitting just 50%, four touchdown passes, nine interceptions. Now, we've seen improvement from him the last couple of weeks, uh, a few less turnovers, but still he's been struggling. And offensively, you look at the running back situation, opening game of the season for SMU, uh, Xavier Jones broke out with 115 yards, missed three games, came back for a little bit of time last week, had 25 yards against Temple, but he's probably out for this one as well. So SMU's offense not hitting on all cylinders. Meanwhile, 
uh, with Tulsa. They came down from a, a 31-point deficit to Fresno in their last game and won that. They're in a uh, another year in the uh, the process for Philip Montgomery, and I think Montgomery's doing a good job. He's got a pretty good quarterback in Dane Evans. Surprisingly, Evans has eight touchdown passes, six interceptions. But defensively, I give Tulsa the edge here. They're only giving up 381 yards per game. And, in fact, they're actually holding their opponents this year to 81 yards below their season average. That's the 24th best number in the country. So that defense, pretty good. And you look at SMU's defense, they're giving up uh, 24 yards above the season average. So I think Tulsa's the better team, and they're at home. I like Tulsa to win this one uh, probably by uh, 17 to 21 points in this one. Appreciate the the, uh, call there, Jimmy. Yeah, let's keep it rolling. 646-668-2248. You know, Phil alludes to a lot of times, and Phil, I want to bring this up right here. Uh, you do so many various uh, graphs and charts uh, in, Phil, in uh, your Phil Steele College Football Preview magazine and at philsteele.com. I'm fascinated by your top five strength of wins, and that's where the, you get point four, points accumulated for the teams you have faced and their other wins. All right, your top five this week on philsteele.com, Michigan, with 16 uh, wins against the opponents they face, Clemson 14, Tennessee 14, Texas 12, and number five, Alabama, whose opponents have won 11 games. Phil, give us uh, your thoughts on, on why you find this important, and it's a good way to judge and evaluate teams as you go forward through a season. Yeah, I think it's pretty fascinating, and it's something that I put up there each week, and it also gives you the pain of losses as well. As an example, at the uh, the bottom of the chart there, if you lose to a team that has not lost this year, you do not get credited with a mm-hmm. loss. You only get losses if your opponent lost a game. And you'd be surprised. At the end of last year, I think there was a, a team that had two or three losses, and yet it was got a zero in the category because all their losses at one point in the year were to unbeaten teams. So it's, right. it, to me, it's a fascinating category, and we give you the strength of wins, pain of losses, and then we put it together at the bottom, and it, it gives you the uh, record with the wins and the losses. Michigan, number one right now at 16-0, and Clemson 14-0, and Tennessee 14-0, and A&M 12-0, and and Alabama 11-0, as you talked about. So it's, uh, to me, it's something fascinating. And on Phil Steele, by the way, there's a, a Phil Steele Plus, and that really takes you behind the curtain. I set up Phil Steele to give me all the information I want at my fingertips at any time. The team pages are color-coded in red and green, and they're just loaded with information. Last 19 years, matchups for each team. It's just tons of information. This Friday, I will have a Phil Steele Plus matchup of the week up there. I told you I was going to do it last week, Michael. Never got the time to do it. I'll do it this week. <laughs> Shame on and you. It, yeah, Shame on you, sir. It'll sort of take you like a, a tutorial on how to use Phil Steele Plus, and you guys will find it fascinating. Right now, Phil Steele Plus is like $49 for the rest of football season, so it's like pennies per day. You can't beat it, and you'll have access to the same amount of information that we spent tens of thousands of hours compiling, and it's the same information I use every single day. You'll have access to it for 49 bucks. So check out Friday. Go to philsteel.com and check out the uh, tutorial, which will have the uh, Phil Steele Plus Game of the Week this week. I love it, and uh, you're right. It is absolutely a must for and, – and when you look at the tutorial, I won't give a lot of it away, but make sure that you get a look-see at Phil's tutorial because the explanation is, is spot on for you. 646-668-2248, 646-668-2248. We've got time for you. We've got room for you. We're going to hit Twitter again, too. Phil, we're about a month away. 
from having our first uh, college football playoff rankings come out in the first week of November. Right now, I don't know, Alabama, Ohio State, Ohio State, Alabama, those are considered uh, interchangeable one, two. Clemson's three, and right now, Louisville, I'll ask you, would you have Louisville four? Would you have Michigan four? Or would you have Tom Herman and his Houston Cougars four right now? First three, I think, are givens. Where would you go with four right now a month before they officially come out? Well, Alex, I'm going to go with D, none of the above. I'm going to go with the Washington Huskies. Oh, <laughs> uh, I should have known better. I yeah, should have so known. My, yeah, my top four teams right now, the four teams that I think will make in the playoffs. And by the way, philsteel.com also has the bowl projections. My current top four, Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson. And i got to go with Washington. If Washington survives this week's test, it's a big one. It's at Oregon, the team that's beat them 12 straight years. If Washington survives this test, you look at the rest of the schedule, Oregon State at Utah is going to be tough, but at Cal, home to USC, home to Arizona State, at Washington State, and then a Pac-12 title game against whoever wins the South. It could be anybody. It could be Colorado, for crying out loud. I I love their defense. I I love their yeah, I love their balanced offense. They've got the quarterback. They've got the special teams. They've got the head coach. They really are a complete team. So I'm going with the Washington Huskies as my number four team right now. All right. So uh, I think we all agree, Alabama, Ohio State, Ohio State, Alabama, whichever way you want to go there, Clemson three. Well, a lot of people think Louisville right now, even with that loss, because of uh, how dynamic they've been. So it's going to be fascinating, Phil. Speaking of the Alabama Crimson Tide, Phil, uh, ranked number one, uh, they've got a trip into uh, the state of Arkansas. they got to go see uh, Brett Bielma and his Arkansas Razorbacks. Just on the surface, do you think that Arkansas has got enough to stress Alabama and be able to stay right there, Phil, with a chance to win in the fourth quarter? Well, they had that against Texas A&M. Remember, that score was 17-17, and Arkansas had the ball first and goal at the two-yard line, about to make it 24-17. They couldn't punch it in. Uh, Two plays later, A&M got a 96-yard TD pass. Then they got a turnover for a touchdown, and all of a sudden, the game Arkansas uh, appeared poised to take control of turned into a 21-point loss to A&M. And that might just happen to them again here. Now, the one thing I've noticed about Arkansas so far this year, I'm still not overwhelmed with their offensive line. Generally, Brett Bielema, offensive line, always come together. You're thinking one of the best in the country. I didn't see him dominate the line of scrimmage against A&M. Only ran for three yards a carry. TCU, same thing. Uh, they Against quality teams, they've yet to really establish a line. Now, generally, that offensive line gets better as the season goes on. I like what I've seen out of Raleigh Williams at running back. He's averaging 5.5 yards per carry. Now, look for true freshman Daywell Whaley to get more action. He's averaging 6.7 yards a carry. But I think when you look at Alabama, this is a game where they're an away favorite. They do very well as an away favorite. Uh, It's sort of an us-against-them mentality. And with the backfield they have and with Jalen Hurts at QB, i got to see Bama winning this one probably by about 17. But I think at the half it's going to be a close game. Interesting. We'll we'll definitely keep tabs on that. As an Alabama uh, maybe needs an impressive performance to stay number one, given what uh, Ohio State has been doing. All right, six four six 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 eight twenty two forty eight. You've come to the right place. We're strong as steel every week. The most insightful, the most inclusive of information. College football podcast. 
you're going to find everywhere. And, Phil, we've had a lot of tremendous questions today uh, about uh, Group of Five matchups. Now, I call Mid-American Conference uh, football each and every week uh, for the ESPN family and networks. Um, and uh, I'm going to hone in on a game this week, and you've already mentioned the squad. They're ranked number 25, P.J. Fleck and his Western Michigan Broncos, 5-0. and Phil coming off just a, a fabulous performance against their natural in-state rival and a very good football team, I might add, the Central Michigan Chippewas. Now, this week, Phil, they uh, welcome in to Waldo Stadium in Kalamazoo the team that has been uh, the dominant squad in the, the MAC West division six years in a row. The Northern Illinois Huskies have won. Head coach Rod Carey and his squad, they got their first win of the year last week against Ball State. Now, Phil, the number is 19-and-a-half, I believe. Is that not correct? Western Michigan favored by that, that large number at home this week? That is correct. And for the listeners right now, I just want to let you know, I put this thought in Michael's head. I want his MAC game of the week each week because Michael follows the MAC closer than almost anybody in the country. So I, we're going to make this a regular feature, and we're going to have Michael pick his favorite MAC game each week. So go on, Michael. I'm all ears. Well, I appreciate it, Phil. But here's the deal about this football game. And again, on the surface, and yeah, Phil and I did. We had a chuckle with these 19 and a half. Wait a minute now. Now, Northern Illinois has dominated Western Michigan of late. P.J. Fleck has never beaten him, and this is fourth year at the helm of the Broncos. And, you know, the, as we said, this Northern Illinois has dominated the MAC West. Six straight MAC championship games at Ford Field in Detroit. So that's on the surface, and you say, wait a minute. But you know what? It sounds inflated. I don't think it is inflated. Last year, Western Michigan uh, lost uh, in DeKalb, Illinois, 27-19. But they, they outgained the Huskies, close, but outgained them offensively by 51 yards, 492 to 441. Zach Terrell, who you hear Phil and I discuss quite a bit, is one of the most accurate passing quarterbacks that we have uh, across the FBS. Uh, their P.J. Flex offense is one as diverse as anybody in the FBS, anybody in the country. Their run game with uh, Jamari Bogan and Jarvion Franklin is phenomenal. And Remember the name, folks, Corey Davis. Now, Phil has brought him up a couple of times already this year here in the show. He is one of the most complete, game-changing, separating wide receivers, size 6'3", 220, that we have in college football. Phil, I, I like Western Michigan to continue their role. I like them to go to 6-0. and They got in the top 25 this week. Hey, P.J. Fleck, you know what I love about him, Phil, too? He says he's not afraid to embrace this. Yes, we want to keep moving up in the rankings. Yes, we want to go undefeated. Yes, we want to be the uh, the group of five squad that gets to a New Year's Day Bowl. Why not, Phil? I think he's tremendous, and with what they've been able to accomplish, I don't see them slowing down. I'll, I'll, I'll give that 19-and-a-half and take Western Michigan to, for the first time in seven years, beat the Huskies of Northern Illinois. So that's what I'm looking at in the Mid-American Conference this week as one to really keep your, uh, your attention focused on as Western Michigan continues on their way. I see them with a great shot to fill to, fill to uh, be able to go undefeated. They've still got to play Toledo and, and uh, of course, still yet to come this year. How do you see it? Do you think there's a legitimate shot for them to go 12-0, and maybe 13-0 and with a MAC championship game win and get a New Year's Day Bowl? 
Absolutely. Listen to them that way at the start of the season in the magazine. Listen to them are one of the top five uh, group of five contenders this year, and they have been super impressive. They've got the offense, defense, special teams, balance on offense, uh, get after you with the pass rush, 17 sacks. I think they're a legitimate uh, the group of five contender this year. And I, I do think we got a lot of Twitter questions out there, but, Michael, thank you very much for once again Absolutely. providing great, great and assessment I on the Mac. I appreciate that, Phil. Yeah, let's get back to Twitter again, at PhilSteel042, at Michael Regai, at Jim underscore Nabosna. Jimmy Nabosna, front and center again. Let's, let's get him rolling because Twitter has been absolutely smoking today. Go ahead, Jim. What do we have? Well, we have our weekly question from Tommy Touchy, and he, his question is, Texas Tech's backup QB looked great last week stepping in for Patrick Mayholmes. However, they're getting seven points on the road this week at K-State. Is this more of a hat tip to Bill Snyder's defense or more thinking the Iowa transfer can't sustain that level of play for the Red Raiders? Oh, I think if Patrick Mahomes was the starting quarterback, Kansas State would still be a seven-point favorite in the game. So I, I don't think it has really anything to do with the QB spot in this one. Uh, Shimonic did look great last week, hitting 67% with a 5-1 ratio in the backup role. But that was against Kansas's defense. And I'm really sold on K-State. They probably should have beaten West Virginia last week. Missed a field goal, a 42-yard field goal with a couple minutes to go in the game. They led the game almost start to finish. I like the way Jesse Ertz runs the offense. He's not completing a high percentage of passes, but he makes them count. Uh, they run the ball well. They play great defense. Uh, and Bill Snyder is one of the best in the country. Now, he's had a, a done a great job. He's 4-1 and one, uh, against uh, Kingsbury in, his, in their five meetings. And uh, they're at home for this one. I just think K-State's a better football team, deserves to be favored in this one. And if it is Shimonic, that, that even adds to K-State's edge as well. That's a, it's a, a great defense. So I like K-State in that one. And as always, Tommy, appreciate the tweet. At Keaton Cutlets, would like to know your thoughts on Houston versus Navy this weekend. There is going to be a hurricane going through Annapolis. Does that give the mids a better chance of pulling off the upset? Yeah, if you're talking about a team that can deal with adversity, uh, line up Ken Niamatololo and his midshipmen, and uh, that definitely is going to help them. If you get the the adverse weather conditions and it affects throwing the football uh, as much as you would think it would, uh, that's that's got to help Navy. It also if you got yourself a, the field uh, a little on the, the muddy side going in or a little on the slippery side, uh, that might take away some of Greg Ward's uh, advantages that he has being the mobile quarterback. So I, I think there's there definitely would be advantages. I think bad weather always favors a large underdog. And in this case, Navy would definitely get a big uh, benefit from that. Now, last year when these two played, Houston dominated Navy. It was the game for the uh, to find out who was going to play in the American Conference title game. Houston rolled to a 52-31 to win, but they were actually an underdog for that game. Now they're a large favorite. So I, I think you add in the weather, and you have to be thinking that Navy probably is going to keep this one closer than the score if the weather is bad, definitely. Thank you for the tweet and the question. At Danny Zay, would like to know if last game was an emotional fluke, or do you expect LSU's offense to put up points against a good Florida defense? Not a lot of points. I think we have two very good defenses here, but uh, and I do not consider last week's game a fluke. What I consider it 
is LSU finally playing up to their potential? I mean, when you look at this team on paper, you wonder. there's no wonder they were a favorite in every single game prior to the season, not an underdog in any game, and now here they are sitting with two losses. I think Ed Orgeron's a perfect guy to get the most out of a team. You look at the fact he took over USC, got him to a 6-1 and record his first seven games there. The players like him. The players, you know, naturally they have a little more diversity. The offense, they still ran the ball for 418 yards. That was a good Missouri team. Now, Florida's defense is not going to get gashed by anybody. Yeah, they gave up 38 points to Tennessee and 498 yards, but I think that was uh, an unusual occurrence. I think when you look at Florida's D, it's too good to give up a lot of points, but I think LSU is a good enough team overall, the better team overall, and I like what Edling's doing at the QB spot. Not flashy, but at least he's able to complete the passes downfield, and that makes you respect the pass game enough to open up that run game, and eight yards of carry last week showed that. So I like LSU to win this one by about a touchdown this week. Uh, but uh, I don't think that they're going to be putting up 42 points like they did against Missouri. Thanks for the tweet. At Nick Parnell, would like to know your thoughts on Texas State getting 10.5 in the Dome at an 0-4 Georgia State team without their top wide receiver. You know, uh, Texas State this year had that great opening game against Ohio where they pulled the upset. Tyler Jones is their QB. He's a veteran, senior, been there forever. Uh, last week they beat Incarnate Word, and they came up short against Houston and Arkansas. A lot of teams would. But right now I just think Georgia State's playing a little better. I know Penny Hart was their top receiver last year, but Penny Hart only had eight receptions so far this year. He's been banged up, played I think only one or two games. So Georgia State's been getting by. Robert Davis, the top guy right now receiving. They've got Glenn Smith, Keith Rucker, and I think Connor Manning, the Utah transfer, is doing okay. He is not anywhere near the stats that uh, Nick Arbuckle put up last year, which was 26 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. He only has three touchdowns, five interceptions. But they have played Air Force, Wisconsin, and App State back-to-back-to-back on the road. That's a pretty tough schedule to face, three pretty tough teams. And what impressed me the most was that Wisconsin game. They slowed down Wisconsin's rush offense, holding the 3.8 yards a carry. I've actually been a little more impressed with Georgia State so far this year. They're a team that made it to a bowl, benefited from the bowl practices last year. And I think they'll play their best game of the season right here out of the box. So I actually like Georgia State to win this one by double digits here at home. That's a great tweet and love talking about the Sun Belt. We always do. Jim Nabosna, we appreciate that. Thanks so much to all of you that uh, have certainly crossed the entire college football landscape. That's what I mean, Phil. That's what when we, we uh, promo this show, how many are going to give you, what shows around the country are going to give you Sunbelt Conference assessments, matchups, complete with uh, player evaluations like Phil just did with the Georgia State-Texas State game coming up this weekend. You won't get that anywhere else. Trust me, that's why we need you here, and we know you want to be here on Strong as Steel. All right, Phil. Uh, I tell you, if you would have told me when we started five weeks ago that uh, we're going to get the Red River rivalry shootout this weekend in Dallas with number 20 Oklahoma and Texas, four losses between them in week six of the college football season, I might have said, what? Slow down now. But here they are. Uh, where is Oklahoma going to be able to get on a roll this year and run the table and finish out after the two losses to Houston and to Ohio State? Well, they should be. They'll be favored in all the rest of their games the rest of the season. So the the possibility clearly exists. Now, here's one note about this series. Since 1989, there has been eight meetings between the two where Oklahoma has been ranked and Texas has been unranked, like this year. In those Mm -hmm. eight meetings, Texas has pulled the upset 
six times, and that includes last year when the same scenario rolled around. Now, for Texas, both the running backs are banged up. Dante Foreman and Chris Warren, these are two of the best running backs in the country. They both exited last week's Oklahoma State game, one in the second quarter, one after an unbelievable late hit in the end zone. I think it was late third quarter, early fourth quarter, and they didn't even call a penalty on the play, uh, and he was hurt. So they need to get their running backs healthy, but I still think Texas can make a game of it. So I'm going with the fact that generally when Oklahoma is ranked and Texas is not, you'll see Texas play a good game. I do think they make a game of it. But going back to your point, Michael, when you look at Oklahoma and the rest of the schedule this year, they very well could run the table, win the Big 12, and you know who that benefits the most? Houston and Ohio State, because it really adds to their resumes if they've beaten the Big 12 champ. Yeah, no question about it, and uh, that that will be uh, one that's watched very, very closely, no doubt about that. All right, Phil, we got time to sneak in one more. Uh, uh, Brian Kelly, wow, what a tumultuous beginning of 2016 it's been. He fires his defensive coordinator, Brian Van Gorder. They do get a win last week, another two-loss football team. Here they are traveling down to uh, Carter-Finley Stadium to see the pack of NC State. Can Notre Dame, as you just assessed with Oklahoma, can they run the table from here on out? Although, you know, some tough ones on the schedule. Southern Cal inclusive. What do you think Notre Dame going to get back on the right track? I'm going to say they get back on track this week. I'm going to vote no on running the table. There are a couple of games that really uh, they have got Stanford, they've got Miami of Florida, and then they've got Virginia Tech, who's really been impressing me, as we talked about earlier. Those games all fall into the questionable category for me. But for this week, Here's what I like about Notre Dame. Uh, you know, the Irish have had the offense all year. hasn't been that question. They're averaging 495 yards per game, 40 points per game. Kaiser's looking great at QB. They've got Josh Adams in the backfield. Equinomics, St. Brown, a receiver. They look great. Defense, as you touched on, fired the defense square. Still gave it 489 yards last week. But I think we're going to start seeing some improvement, even though the secondary is banged up. But when I look at NC State, they're a team that last year was 7-0 and against teams that did not make the bowl or the postseason. 0-6 when they took on teams that did. And look who they've played so far this year. William & Mary, East Carolina, Old Dominion, Wake Forest. None of those teams made a bowl last year. So this is the first team they're taking on this year that made a bowl last year. And I think when we've seen NC State take a step up in class, they have struggled. It's a desperate Notre Dame team when they cannot afford to fall at 2-4. and 2-4 and four and all of a sudden Brian Kelly's on the slot. I like the way Ryan Finley's operating in the offense, though. Ryan Finley's doing a great job. He's a Boise State transfer, the offensive coordinator from Boise State. He's hitting 72% with a 9-0 ratio. And Matthew Day's back at running back is averaging over 100 yards per carry, as he did last year before he got injured. But I just have to think I'm going to go with the desperate Notre Dame team. And they're actually an underdog here, Michael. I'm going to pull Notre Dame to pull the upset on the road this week. Interesting. All right. Hey, I tell you what, Phil, that 60, as we said, we uh, we bill it as fast-paced, no-huddle, spread offense. We we aspire to snap the football and run as many plays as, as the Oregon Ducks try to do each and every week. So great job, Phil. As always, uh, we'll do this again. Uh, any final thoughts where you'd uh, like to make sure all of our listeners and those that want all of your information, you want to direct them to? Uh, you know what? Follow me on Twitter. It's at PhilSteel042. That's at PhilSteel042. Head over to Steel's Weekly Preview. That's SteelsWeeklyPreview.com for more information on the Inside the Press Box uh, newsletter. And then, like I said, and Michael, you hold me to this. Uh, give me a call Friday. Harass me on Friday. I've got to get that Phil Steel Plus Game of the Week up there on Friday. 
I'll try to find the time and get it up there, and it'll be a matchup of the week, and it'll take you a little, a little tutorial how to use philsteel.com. But I tell you what, touched a lot of games. We touched a lot of the smaller games, which I love, and I appreciate mm-hmm. every single listener out there and every single tweet that was sent in. If we didn't get to you this week, we'll get to you next week for sure. We'll, we'll get you on board and, uh, and let Jim know when you tweet in that, hey, we didn't get to your tweet last week. We'll get to it this week. Absolutely. Give you top priority that way. Gentlemen, fabulous job. But again, to all of you, make sure you spread the word. Let everybody know. You see what kind of assessments you get. You see the information that's at a premium level that you're not going to get anywhere else. And we love the fact that you're a part of Strong as Steel with us. Have yourself a wonderful college football viewing weekend. Hope it's a tremendous one for all of you. We'll see you right back here next week on our Strong as Steel podcast for our producer, Jim Nabosna, for the author of the very finest college football magazine in the land, Phil Steele. I'm Michael Regai. Enjoy the college football weekend, everybody. Until next week, so long. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.